The Devil's Trio, Part 2 Let me begin by telling of a personal encounter I had with the devils of spiritualism. In my labors for God's youth, the General Conference sent me to the Far East Division for a two-month itinerant. One of my appointments took me to the city of Cebu, located in the Philippines. Sabbath morning, I was to present a message to encourage the youth to take an active part in what was then our MV Share Your Faith program, in which our older youth in the world field had baptized over a hundred thousand by preaching the three angels' message. During the Friday evening, as I prepared for the Sabbath presentation, I was deeply impressed to change my subject to that of spiritualism. When Sabbath morning arrived, I found a very large tent had been erected during the week for an expected crowd. Sabbath school proved the wisdom of such planning, for every seat was taken and a great number had to stand around the edge of the tent. A large platform had been erected to seat some fifteen ministers. I had been preaching about ten minutes, exposing Old Testament witchcraft of devil worship, when without a warning I was suddenly interrupted by a thundering noise like hoofs stamping on the platform upon which I was standing. The noise became so loud that I could not hear myself speak even though I was using a sound system, I had to stop preaching. The minister in charge shouted in my ear, This is part of the Philippines, which is known as the devil's country, and the devils are angry because of what you are telling the people. He invited me to join the ministers in prayer, for he said it was the only way to stop the devils. Quickly all the ministers joined together and knelt for prayer. The stamping noise was so loud we could not hear each other pray. But eventually the dis disrupting noise began to subside to absolute silence. Then the presiding elder whispered in my ear, You can now continue your preaching. Returning to the pulpit, I continued to reveal from the scriptures that when a person dies, they know not anything. I was quoting Ecclesiastes 9, verse 6. Their love, their hatred, and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. I told the people that it was the devil's evil angels who were appearing in their city as their departed loved ones performing such wonders. As I continued to speak, I noticed a commotion taking place in the back of the tent. Suddenly, a devil-possessed man started to run up the aisle of the tent, shouting, This man is a servant of the Most High God, showing the way of salvation. I could hardly believe my ears, for he was yelling the same words 
used by a devil-possessed man some 2,000 years ago when the devil tried to stop Paul as he was preaching in Philippi. Six deacons pounced on this man, but this devil-possessed person revealed supernatural strength by lifting four of the men off the ground with his stretched-out arms. Finally, he was subdued and carried out. I then continued to preach until I finished my sermon. Never, never try to convince me that there is no such power as spiritualism. Many times as I have preached about the devil, I have witnessed his anger. So let us pause here just now to pray that God's angels will surround us and keep the devil from disturbing us as we discuss Satan's present activities within God's church. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we humbly request that Satan's angels not be permitted to harm this speaker or disturb anyone listening to this tape. We plead that thy Holy Spirit will help us to comprehend the inroads that spiritualism is making within our church today. And we thank thee for answering this prayer. Amen. I have just discovered a book entitled Spiritism in the Seventh-day Adventist Church by Colin and Russell Standish. I urge you to obtain a copy. It tells the truth like no other book published today. I promise you will not be disappointed. It is published by Heartland Publications, Box 1, Rapidan, Virginia, 22733. I must tell you that some of the thoughts expressed in this tape have been gleaned from the pages of this book. Now, get your Bible and start with and turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Isaiah. As we read of the prophet's vision, we will discover the tragic condition of God's Israel of old, which parallels the Seventh-day Adventist church today. Let us begin with verse 2 and 3. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. And notice, what does he say? I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth its owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know my people doth not consider. How sad. Such was the rebellious condition when the people of God deviate from the truth and righteousness. Look at verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They have gone away backward. What a description of the state of God's people 
back then and today. We too are a sinful people. So often we hear of dishonesty, lying, adultery, and fornication within our organization, to say nothing of the ruthless treatment to some of its faithful members, because they refuse to accept that which the Bible in the spirit of prophecy condemns as spiritualism. I continue reading verse 5 and 6. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Beloved, only inspiration could portray the results of such apostasy as God sees it. Notice verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom. We should have been like unto Gomorrah. Never forget, friend, if it were not for the remnant, Satan would have total control, control of our church today. The remnant may be exceedingly small, but God is using the few to keep Satan from seizing control of the church and this world. Just listen to what God says to us today as he reproves Israel of old. Verse 13 and 15. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. No wonder God uses harsh words because he sees Pentecostalism and New Age forms of worship being promoted by conference with the full approval of the General Conference in celebration worship services. Yet, God lovingly appeals, notice verse 16 and 17, wash you, make you clean, Put away the evil of your doing from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And now listen as God pleads further. Verse 18 and 19. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. 
But in verse 20, he warns of failure to heed his last call. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And finally, God speaks in words that cannot be misunderstood by those who would continue in apostasy. Listen. How is the faithful city become as a harlot? Now Paul explains this vision of the end time by stating in Romans 9.27, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. When I read this promise, I cannot help but shouting, Praise the Lord! With this inspired introduction of Scripture, let us examine how modern spiritualism has infiltrated within the Seventh-day Adventist Church with its teachings of doctrine, outreach evangelism, and worship service. Let us start with the teaching of new theology. Many have overlooked this new doctrine of sin and live, which is none other than the same false theology that was presented to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You remember, Eve was told by the devil that if she ate of the forbidden tree, thus sinning and disobeying God, that she would not die, but live. Today, this new theology teaches exactly the same evil. You may continue to sin until Jesus comes and still be saved. Beloved, this is the difference by which we can discern between the wheat and the tares. For the remnant, the precious wheat, will live by victory over every sin provided by the power of Christ. I quote, The prophet Isaiah brings to view the fearful deception which will come upon the wicked, causing them to count themselves secure from the judgments of God. And what do these people say? We have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come nigh unto us. For we have made a refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. In the class here described are included those who in their stubborn impenitence comfort themselves with the assurance that there is to be no punishment for the sinner, that all mankind, it matters not how corrupt, are to be exalted to heaven to become as the angels of God. But still more emphatically are those making a covenant with death and an agreement with hell, who renounce the truths which heaven has provided as a defense for the righteous in the day of trouble, and accept the refuge of lies offered by Satan in its stead, the delusive pretensions of spiritualism. 
Great Controversy, page 560 and 561. Did you notice that Ellen White states that this new theology is spiritualism? But praise God, he is patiently waiting for a faithful to stand firmly against such spiritism and reflect Christ's stainless character so we can go home with Jesus when he comes. Notice the wonderful promise found in Christ's Object Lessons, page 69. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly re reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his home. Oh, what assurance to us in these troublesome times. Thank you, Jesus, for this promise. But don't forget, take note, spiritism will be the final deception in this end-time crisis, and the Sabbath, the final test of loyalty. How I pray that God's ministers of this day would preach these major doctrines. Next, let us now consider another startling announcement concerning spiritualism. Minds will be hypnotized. Satan is the master hypnotist and is able to hypnotize every human being in this world except those who have invited Christ to take full control of their lives. The scripture admonishes us, and I quote, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. The mind of Christ could never be hypnotized by Satan, and therefore could not be deceived. If we invite Christ's mind to be our mind, then that alone will preserve us from the hypnotic presentations of Satan. The servant of the Lord continues, The experience of the past will be repeated. In the future, Satan's superstitions will assume new forms. Errors will be presented in a pleasing and flattering manner. False theories, clothed with the garments of light, will be presented to God's people. Thus, Satan will try to deceive if possible, the very elect. Most seducing influences will be exerted. Minds will be hypnotized. Maranatha, page 59. In this end time, Satan will hypnotize the billions of this world to unite into a one-world government to keep Sunday holy. Be they pagans, Islams, Catholics, Jews, Protestants, or atheists, they all will be hypnotized to accept Satan as the savior of this world. How amazing that Ellen White sensed this satanic power would also emerge within our church, for she states, this same hypnotic influence is seen working among our people 
today. Manuscript Release, Volume 2, page 248. You may have wondered why it is that you can present the clearest, most unambiguous statement of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy to men and women, and somehow they do not seem to be able to understand its meaning or its significance, or they are able to rationalize it away. Surely, already, so many have been hypnotized by Satan that they cannot perceive the certainty of God's truth. I quote, Satan is waiting to steal a march upon everyone who allows himself to be deceived by his hypnotism. He begins to exert his power over them just as soon, are you listening? Just as soon as they begin to investigate his theories. Medical Ministry, page 101 and 102. This statement indicates the danger of even exploring areas of error and apostasy. Satan is there to try to draw us into his trap by the use of hypnotism. Now, let's consider another. What about spiritism in entertainment? Few members within our church have given this any thought. But this was not the experience of Ellen White. You will be surprised to learn that she associates worldly amusement with spiritualistic, satanic practices. I quote, Thus Satan and his angels are laying their snares for souls. They are working upon the minds of teachers and students to induce them to engage in exercises and amusements which become intensely absorbing and which are of a character to strengthen the lower passions and to create appetites and passions they will counteract the operations of the Spirit of God upon human hearts. Amusements are doing more to counteract the working of the Holy Spirit than anything else, and the Lord is grieved. Counsels to Parents and Teachers and Students, page 281. Beloved, this is an eye-opener. Think it through carefully. Amusements are doing more to counteract the working of the Holy Spirit than anything else. I continue to read. The desire for excitement and pleasing entertainment is a temptation and a snare to God's people, and especially to the young. Satan is constantly preparing inducements to attract minds from the solemn work a preparation for the scenes just in the future. Through the agency of the whirlings, he keeps up a continual excitement to induce the unwary to join in worldly pleasures. Satan is a persevering workman, an artful, deadly foe. He has many finely woven nets which appear innocent, but which are skillfully prepared to entangle the young and unwary. The natural mind leans towards pleasure and self-gratification. It is Satan's policy to fill the mind with a desire for worldly amusement, 
that there may be no time for the question, how is it with my soul? Counsel to Parents and Teachers and Students, page 325. And dare I mention the theater? Here in America, almost every Seventh-day Adventist has a television. Stop and think. Some 85 to 90 percent of what is shown is the same as that that is displayed in the theater. Some of our members spend many hours each day before the tube. And what of our children? Surveys reveal that most of them spend 10 to 12 hours a day watching TV when not in school. Since this is common knowledge, why are we surprised when we are faced with the fact that over 75% of our teenage youth leave the church for good? Why does our denomination spend tens of thousands trying to find out why we lose our youth when all the leadership needs to do is read the following quotation. Among the most dangerous resorts for pleasure is the theater. Instead of being a school for morality and virtue, as so often claimed, it is the very hotbed of immorality. Vicious habits and sinful propensities are strengthened and confirmed by these entertainments. Low songs, lewd gestures, expressions and attitudes deprave the imagination and debase the morals. Every youth who habitually attends such exhibitions, are you listening? Every youth who habitually attends such exhibitions will be corrupted in principle. There is no influence in our land more powerful to poison the imagination, to destroy religious impressions, to blunt the relish for tranquil pleasures and sober realities of life than theatrical amusements. The love of these scenes increases with every indulgence as the desire for intoxicating drink strengthens with its use. The only safe course is to shun the theater the circus, and every other questionable place of amusement. Counsels to Parents and Teachers and Students, page 334 and 335. I read the following from the book Spiritism in Seventh-day Adventist Church. Reflecting upon this statement, surely it would be wise to have nothing to do with television. Many faithful Christians have found the wisest step is to have no television at all. For today, the sensual and the violent presentations on television are more vivid and more destructive than in the days when Sister White wrote these words of warning. Counsels to Parents and Teachers and Students, page 367. The whole reason for the intoxication of sports today it's to lead men and women away from God and from the sober realities of preparing their lives for the coming of the Lord and for witnessing the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ to men and women. The tragic trend in our churches and in our schools and colleges bespeaks 
the widespread idolatry that is now rampant among Seventh-day Adventists. We started with pickup games. We moved to intramurals. We moved then to playing some games between Adventist institutions. And we now have gone the full circle and have joined the leagues of the world. We have even offered scholarships to some of the better sporting performers. God must pronounce it an abomination. End quote. Time will not per permit further investigation of this form of spiritism. Again, I copy of the Stanish Brothers book and discover much, much more. Another impact of spiritualism within our church is our doctrinal deviations. We often hear it said these days, we must preach more about Christ and less about doctrines. Beloved, these words come directly from the heart of spiritism. I'm quoting, Spiritualism is now changing its form, veiling some of its most objectionable and immoral features, and assuming a Christian guise. Formerly, it denounced Christ and the Bible. Now, it professes to accept both. The Bible is interpreted as a, in a manner that is attractive to the unrenewed heart, while its solemn and vital truths are made of no effect. A God of love is presented, but his justice, his denunciation of sin, the requirements of his holy law, are all kept out of sight. Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 405. Here I must pause for you to consider what I believe is the best answer I have ever found concerning doctrines taken from the book Spiritism in the Adventist Church. Quote, Today, many are giving the love theology, but they are ignoring the doctrines of the Word which are the greatest revelation of Christ and God. Indeed, of every doctrine, Christ is the center and the focus. How can we preach the second coming of Christ without preaching of one who is coming in power and great glory? How can we preach the sanctuary message without preaching of the one who is our sacrifice, our judge, our high priest, our intercessor, our advocate, our mediator. How can we preach the investigative judgment without preaching of the one who will stand up for his faithful people in the judgment? How can we preach baptism without understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? and the renewal that it brings to everyone who has committed his life to Christ. How can we preach the state of the dead without preaching of the one who is the resurrection and the life? How can we teach the commandments without recognizing that the commandments are the very expression of the character of God? How can we preach the Sabbath without preaching of the one who is our Creator, our Redeemer, our Sanctifier? How can we preach righteousness by faith without preaching of the One 
who imputes and imparts his righteousness to us. But for many members, years go by, and to hear nothing in the Seventh-day Adventist Church pulpits that would remotely address any of these thrilling truths. Present truth is forgotten, and Satan is gradually making inroads through the spiritualistic teachings which ignore God's justice, his denunciation of sin, and the requirements of his holy law." Unquote. I could go on, but we must move quickly considering another inroad of Spiritism as found in our Seventh-day Adventist publications. A few years ago I became greatly disturbed to discover books printed on our presses teaching doctrines of devils. I was talking to a former Union president who had served for years as the chairman of the Pacific Press Board of Directors. I questioned, how come on one day you print on our presses the inspired book entitled The Desire of Ages, and then the very next day on the same press you print a book that teaches just the opposite to what Ellen White wrote. I shall never forget his answer. Our present policy is to never question what our leaders or ministers write in their book manuscripts. What did he mean? I'll tell you, our presses no longer check to see if a suggested book contains the truth. All they are interested in is to print books that will sell and make money. It is left to the reader to choose truth from error. Heaven help us! Spiritism now has an open door to publish the doctrines of Spiritism on our very own presses. I was shocked when in 1990 the ministerial department published the ministry magazine with a cover of a pagan design at a cost some say was about $8,000. More than 30 pagan, spiritualistic, and Roman Catholic symbols are to be found in this painting. The book Spiritism in the Adventist Church describes this cover picture, and I quote, Presented is not the Christ of the Bible, coming as King of kings and Lord of lords in power and great glory, coming, coming with unnumbered angels in the splendor of heaven, but rather of a cosmic Christ of the new age. The painting depicts Jesus coming to the earth totally out of harmony with the clear testimony of the Word of God. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Among many pagan representations in what is our premier magazine for ministers, both the Adventists and not Adventists are clear depictions of spirits. The lost are seen in a burning inferno 
writhing in agony, wholly out of character with the fact that the destruction of the wicked does not take place until a thousand years after the resurrection of the saints. Skeletons are seen flying through the air, draped in cloth. The rainbow of the new age is in clear view. And note, Christ's left hand presents the papal symbol of the thumb and the two outer fingers curled and the semi-V shape of the other two fingers. I shall never forget how I felt, for I felt like weeping when I viewed this satanic picture in our ministry magazine portraying the second coming of Christ. Turning yet to another point, I received a letter from a Sabbath school youth division leader deploring the Sabbath school youth lessons printed by the General Conference. For example, Bible characters are portrayed as in a comic strip. Sacred and divine truths are made light of. Can you imagine Jesus as a youth, pictured as a hippie? This Sabbath school teacher displayed this trash before the church board. Many agreed, but the pastor insisted that the conference demanded that they be used. Nothing else could take its place. When the teacher refused to use them, she was kicked out of the youth Sabbath school division and told to shut up, or she would be put out of the church. Years ago, as an ordained pastor, I repeatedly assured my flock that whatever was printed on our presses could be accepted as the truth. But not anymore. I now tell our members, when you read what is printed from our publishing houses, you must pray for divine guidance to help you separate truth from error. The Spirit of Prophecy stated this correctly. I quote, The time has come when even in the church and in our institutions, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Manuscript Release, Volume 7, page 188. And now, what of spiritism in our witnessing program? Under consideration by the Mid-American Union Conference is a new plan for church planting. Take note of how deception is used to not only fool the Adventist faithful, but also the non-believers who attend. Never forget, deception is the mode of spiritualism. Number one, the meetings will be held in a town located some distance from the nearest Adventist church. Why? The advantage of this is not only to reach non-Adventists, but also to hold the meetings at a distance so church members will not know what is taking place in these meetings. That's deception. The ultimate plan is to use new plannings to gradually remake the church into a new image 
with new members trained into new ways of doing things while not disturbing the older existing churches. Why, that's the deception of spiritualism. Number two, the meetings will be held on Friday night instead of Sabbath morning. Now, this is a clear deception of spiritualism to do away eventually with the Sabbath and get them ready for Sunday keeping. The advantage of Friday night meetings is that it will appeal to the class of people who like to spend their weekend evenings pottering around and so are ready to do and go to some new places. Number three, morning and afternoon activities will be conducted on the Sabbath. These activities will include community service. Listen carefully. The advantage of the Sabbath activities is that it can copy the program which has been conducted at the university church for nearly a decade in which the students and grown-ups are sent out on Sabbath afternoon to paint houses, mow lawns, clean up trash, and in a variety of other ways show their neighborliness to the Loma Linda, Riverside, San Bernardino area. Adventists not taking part in the outreach will definitely be told not to attend the new modeled meetings. And why? This is crucial to the success of the plan while not offending the existing churches. What deception! Number five. Along with that, it is important that a majority of those in attendance be non-Adventists. This will greatly aid in the establishment, and take note, of new patterns of worship thinking, and activities. No conservative Adventist will be present to influence their thinking. Number six, all clothing is to be casual. Nothing formal or churchy about these meetings is to be done that might cause the suspicion that these are church services. Deception, deception, deception. Number seven, it is extremely important that the new members be taught certain practices which are not in the general conference policy. Deception again. This includes a rule that members will be canceled at the end of the annual review of the books if it is found that tithes and offerings are not regularly paid in. These two points which no general conference session has ever authorized, are vital, for they underlie the entire reason for the celebration churches and church planting, to bring more live bodies which will pay more money into the church, not to get them ready for the coming of the Christ. Number eight, study materials used at the meetings will include the reading and discussion of non-Adventist books which explain the do's and the don'ts of Christian experience. Unbelievable deception, isn't it? Teaching the doctrines of Babylon. Number nine. As might be expected, contemporary music will be an important part of each meeting. Concerts will also be held 
as a feeder to draw people to the regular Friday evening meetings. That's entertainment, isn't it? Entertainment on the Holy Sabbath hours. Well, I could go on. What's the name of this church? They're going to call it Life's Answer Church. I've got a better name. Hell's Answers Church. And then it says, Approved by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Approved by the Minnesota Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, Approved by the Mid-American Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Never in all my years of the ministry as an ordained minister in the church, the conference, the union, and the general conference, have I ever seen within our organization such a devilish plan of deception, which is none other than spiritualism. And now as we conclude, let us consider this growing celebration movement within our church being promoted by the top leadership. I have personally visited many celebration churches, and there is not a doubt in my mind as to the ultimate results of this Pentecostal worship of Spiritism. The very pillars of our everlasting gospel contained in the three angels' messages is being deframed and destroyed. Excitement, rather than worship, has invaded the 11 o'clock worship service. We used to often hear the words, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. But today's sanctuary has become a bedlam of noise, a place where the members would rather greet one another by shaking hands and even embracing one another rather than showing holy reverence to the Lord. There is much clapping, so-called Christian rock music, and the beat of drums, even laughter from the pulpit jokes, and entertaining drama, which God has clearly condemned. I have even witnessed dancing on the pulpit, performed by hired theatrical teams to give the audience a feeling of worship. The congregations encouraged to wave their arms in the air as the Pentecostals do when asking their God to give them an unknown tongue, which is made possible by free hands and arms not holding a songbook but singing from the screen. Even the songs sung are mostly repetitive phrases rather than hymns of salvation's doctrine. In fact, everything that God has revealed that would happen just before the close of probation is taking place in some of these celebration churches. For inspiration has told us the things that you have described as taking place in Indiana, the Lord has shown me would take place just before the close of probation. Every uncouth thing will be demonstrated. There will be shouting with drums, music, and dancing. The senses of rational beings will become so confused that they cannot be trusted to make right decisions. And this is called the moving of the Holy Spirit. But, beloved, listen to this. The Holy Spirit never reveals itself in such methods, in such a bedlam of noise.
This is an invention of Satan to cover up his ingenious methods for making of none effect the pure, sincere, elevating, ennobling, sanctifying truth for this time. Selected Messages 2, Book 36. Have you ever questioned where the spiritualistic celebration came from? I am sure that some of you will be surprised to learn that it was born in Satan's Second Vatican Council of 1962. The following is a copy of celebration as devised by that council, as taken from the book Adventist Carnival by Lloyd and Leola Rosenvold, page 84. And I must state here it is the best book on celebration I have ever found. I urge you to secure a copy. The address is P.O. Box 330, Hope, Idaho, 83836. Now please note the eight aims of this papal celebration program. One, get the churches accustomed to celebration terminology and celebration concept. Every function of the church becomes a celebration from a communion to funerals. Two, Get the churches accustomed to a revitalized style of celebration service. This involves reduction of inhibitation, vastly increased congregational participation verbally, and considered a must. Lots of physical gestures, bodily attitudes and movements. Three, promote in the celebration service dialogue between the celebrant, that's the pastor and the priest, and the people. Four, use as much variation as possible in the celebration service to encourage active, willing participation. Five, set forth song or musical celebration services as the most effective celebrations, utilizing popular religious songs and relating the music to the various cultures and temperaments of the people. Six, Narrow the gap between the Eucharist celebration and the Lord's Supper. Educate the people that this service forms the basis of all Christian unity and fellowship. Seven, demonstrate the inextricable tie-in between the Eucharist celebration as the foundation of all unity and the Lord's Day Sunday celebration. Eight, perform any endeavor necessary to promote Sunday observance, including rest from work. You know, friend, the sad and painful truth is that this plan of Satan was developed with the aim that it would bring God's true church into the arms of the papacy. And sorry to say, it is being achieved rapidly. Even items 7 and 8 are beginning to be followed by our ministry. In many churches, the Lord's Supper is now called the Eucharist. But that's not all. Some of our pastors are now asking the congregation to come up to the pastor one by one to receive the bread. And most shocking is to learn of a pastor who recently gave to each person not the broken bread, a symbol of Christ's broken body, but like the Catholic priests, 
This Adventist pastor gave this person the round wafer of the sun god as used in the Catholic Eucharist of the Mass. May God help us. Am I discouraged and ready to leave God's remnant? Never. Absolutely not. I believe as Isaiah chapter 1 states, verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom. Praise the Lord. Today within God's professed believers is a very small remnant who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They have not, nor will they, bow the knee to Baal worship. By God's grace, I am determined to die for God's truth if necessary, that I may be counted worthy of God to be a part of his remnant. And what about you? Let us never forget that the Lord is coming soon to take his remnant home to heaven and give them eternal life. And beloved, God has never failed to keep his promise. Praise the Lord. Let us praise. O precious Father, seal thy faithful remnant who promise never to accept or follow Satan's spiritualistic plans for Adventists to become Baal worshippers of Papal Rome. Please give us divine power to discern the deceiving power of spiritualism. This we ask in the precious name of thy dear Son, Jesus, who gave his life for all who are overcomers of sin. Amen.
Near time to 